to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burris. Here as always with my co-host, A to Z Sports writer Zach Reagan, wherever you listen throughout the world. And thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. If you want to listen to that regularly, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple, Spotify. And subscribe there. If you do subscribe, you won't miss any of the episodes when we drop them on Mondays. And you'll get the rest of the A to Z lineup if you like the Titans or you like the Predators or anything like that. A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. And then go over to YouTube and subscribe there to A to Z Sports. Just type in A to Z Sports on YouTube. It'll be the first thing that comes up. And you'll be able to see Zach and I's beautiful faces. What a joy that is. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, Facebook.com, so A to Z Sports Natural, and A to Z Sports.com. For all of the stuff that Zach and I write on the internet, say on the internet, all of the nonsense we do over there. Zach, a week of practice is down the team over on, is it still? I think it is still Haslam Field, Anderson Training Center over there, whatever it might be. Everything is named after the Haslam's over there, let's be honest. Um, they hit the practice field in pads for the first time over the weekend. Big day. All the signs that football is drawing ever closer. I was looking today uh, on the app for our amazing new sponsor, Superbook Sports, and I was looking at their their bets for college football. Um, and dude, August 27th, we are 19 days away. That is the first official, the real deal game. Um, and, uh, some of the team, like there is actually an sec game. Vandy is playing at Hawaii (laughs) that week. Um, so we'll get to watch that game, but, uh, more about Superbook in a second and college football being oh, so close. Let's just, uh, get into it. Zach, what's up, man? Uh, not a whole lot. I can't imagine a uh, a better start to the week. Football in the air. Training camp's in full swing. Uh, like you said, less than a month away. And my Mets took four out of five from the Atlanta Braves this weekend. So Ooh. feeling quite good about that after having to watch a lot of Braves fans talk trash. And actually had a, had a few back and forth, something we've talked about before on this show. And it is still something that, that irks me and kind of comes up every now and then. Uh, the, the amount of Tennessee fans that cheer for a team from Georgia with so many Georgia connections, the Braves play-by-play guy, you know, he's a Georgia alum. He's also extremely dramatic. And, uh, you know, I saw a lot of Braves fans talking about the Mets acting like they won game seven of the World Series winning that series. Well, every time the Braves hit a fly ball in this series, I thought it was a 500-foot home run. It'd be a short pop-up to center field. So, it's – uh. Just, you- Coming in talking at trash right off the top. That's good. We let's we uh we shaved off the the less loyal listeners there. The yeah, who are only here for our. See, I, I st- actually, you know, I I don't I don't tweet a whole bunch about the Mets because I know that I know that most of my followers are Braves fans and so and I, I I get it. I I totally get it. That's the closest team. Uh, I probably should have been a Braves fan. It just it just my the way my family history and things worked out. It just didn't turn out that way. So I, I do understand it, but it is a fun going back and forth. And listen, the Mets, the Mets are very much like Tennessee football. They've they've found so many ways to screw it up, from ownership 
to just bad coaching hires, bad decisions. They the parallels between them really are remarkable. So maybe more Tennessee fans should be Mets fans because they do they do kind of follow the same path. Well, there you go. There's Zach's pitch to come be a Mets fan. I, I myself, I'm just a Texas Rangers fan, and frankly, let's just not even talk about what's happening with them because it's not worth your time. <laughs> um, but to, on today's show, we're going to talk about uh, Tennessee's running backs room first. Lynn J. Dixon, the transfer from Clemson, has become official. Then Rodney Garner, the defensive line coach, talked at practice today, being Monday. Uh, he talked, and we're going to kind of give a, a preview of the defensive line off of the things that he said and what he's seeing with the defensive line. Uh, and then uh, we're going to wrap up the show with a little talk about all of these horrific Top five quarterbacks in the SEC list that people keep dropping. They're so bad. It's like these people that talk about SEC football don't watch SEC football, where we're going to talk about all of it. But first, before we get into uh, that stuff, we got to talk about our amazing sponsor. We got to pay the bills. Superbook Sports. They are here supporting the boys. Football is back, and nobody is more excited than our friends at Superbook Sports. Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hand. And now they will match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if the bet wins or loses. One Up to $1,000, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, they're going to match that. Uh, you don't have to be in Nashville or Knoxville to enjoy football this fall. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Tennessee app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. Thanks to Superbook. And I was looking at the Superbook app, actually, Zach. And, and I'll ask you this off the top because we can we can relate them to Tennessee. Uh, I was looking at it, and here's... Here's what they have listed for Tennessee. And if you look at if you're looking at YouTube, you can actually see this is what the app looks like on Superbook. It's great, um, uh, great interface that they have uh, to find games and search up the bets that you want to make. But this is the the listing for Tennessee Ball State. Obviously, Tennessee's opening game on September was it September first? I think mm-hmm. um, Tennessee 32 point favorite. Obviously, they. have think that Tennessee is going to win but what I wanted to ask you about here um, is that over under 68 it's pretty steep but Tennessee definitely crossed that I multiple times last season um, I think a, a decent amount with over under depends on how long Hendon Hooker maybe stays in the game although Milton if Milton is improved you know hey he can get the job done too he won Tennessee his first football game last year mm-hmm. are, are we hitting the over or the under, which which uh, side of that would you be taking? It's at mm. minus one ten odds on both sides. Where would you go? I mean, I don't I don't think that you can bet the under in any Tennessee game this year based on what we saw last year. I just don't yeah. think that would be a wise decision. I mean, you bring up a good point there. Like, how long do do they keep the starters in? What does Joe Milton do? How does he look if he comes in? Because look, I mean, if you're a Tennessee fan, that's you would love to see Joe Milton in the end of that game. You'd love to see. It probably won't happen, but even Taven Jackson, if he can get some some action at some point this year, that would that would mean that you're up by a significant amount of points. But I don't know. I'm gonna Tennessee's defense. You know, they they give uh, well because of the offense. The defense gives the opposition a lot of opportunities to score points, like we've talked about. So Ball State, 
even though they're nowhere close to Tennessee's uh, level. They could put up some points, not not a significant amount of points, anything like that, but they could put up more points than you expect just because they get more chances. So, yeah, I, I think I'd roll with the over in this one. So in the snoozer games last year, Tennessee beat Bowling Green 38-6, to not even close to that over-under. Tennessee Tech 56-0. to Of course, that's a, a FCS team. Um, so they struggled to do anything on offense against Tennessee. And then South Alabama, uh, they put up a couple of touchdowns on the board, but Tennessee scored 60 points in that game. That was the one out of the snoozers where Tennessee crossed over this uh, over-under. There were 74 points in that game, 60-14 to 14 against South Alabama. I think I would, I would take the over. I, Do we I, know what the uh, over/under was in that Bowling Green? Uh, I'm looking at Tennessee's game? official website, so I they didn't list oh, okay. anything like that. Yeah, see, but part you know, you bring up a good point there, though. They uh, they put up all those points against South Alabama. They probably would have put up that same amount of points or somewhere close to that against uh, Bowling Green if Hendon Hooker starts that game. If you True. recall that the offense, look, Tennessee won that game 38 to six, but it felt much closer not that Tennessee was ever in danger of losing but the offense felt a bit sluggish with Joe Milton there uh so I I think that kind of probably would have turned out a little different depending on exactly what the over under was well hopefully in this game the offense is even more streamlined than it was last year and that's what we're going to talk about uh for the bulk of today's episode let's start out practice continues on we, we got a whole week under our belts at this point. Pads are actually on. We've moved past the shells onto actual pads now. And there's been plenty of kind of just notes of this guy is sitting out. This, he looks this way. This coach did that. I, you know, that's also time sensitive and it changes day to day that if you, you can get into that, there are plenty of services that cover that stuff day to day. Go check them out. You all know who they are. Um, and they'll give you a practice report. But we just kind of want to take more of a thousand foot view, but specifically a thousand foot view first at the running backs room because they kind of had the most exciting addition of this fall camp. Lynn J. Dixon, transfer from Clemson, a, a speedy uh, back that is coming in to essentially replace Lynette Whitehead. Um, although they play, they both they play a pretty different style of football between the two of them. Uh, but Lindsey Dixon is officially in with Tennessee. He committed. He was on the practice field the day after he committed. It was super quick. And now Tennessee's running back room is, I, I, I would say there's no superstar, but a little stacked, right? It looks pretty good with the addition of, of Lindsey Dixon in terms of what you want to see out of Josh Heupel's breakneck offense. I like the way this stacks up, but what what do you think about this addition? I think again, I, I, I kind of mentioned this when we talked about Whitehead going down for the year, and the Dixon news was kind of out there at the same time. It does it kind of it kind of feels like an upgrade because Whitehead, yeah, he was kind of like in between being a linebacker or a running back. They decided to put him at running back. Can't really stay healthy. Uh, can you can he hold up to that that contact that that you take as an SEC running back? The answer is probably no. Uh, if he, even if he wouldn't have got injured, he, I don't, I just don't know how productive he would have been for Tennessee. And you replace him with a guy that, okay, things didn't really go his way at Clemson, but he averaged six, seven yards of carry at times, obviously has a lot of talent, former four-star recruit. So I think it's a huge addition. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, Tyon Evans, Eric Gray type guy that comes in and just blows everybody away from day one. But I think the potential's there. Uh, and I, 
you know, he's not going to be the starter either. Obviously, Jabari Small's the guy. Jalen Wright, kind of a more of a speed guy. And, and then you got Justin Williams Thomas, the promising freshman who hasn't really looked great in practice as far as catching the ball, which is a big part of this offense. You got to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. He's admitted that he struggled with that some, but he's working hard to get past it too. I mean, he's a true freshman. It's not it's not going to happen overnight for him. I think we forget sometimes that uh, when, when these players arrive to Tennessee as a freshman, they're not the same player they're going to be as a junior or a senior. You've got to have that development process, which this staff might be the best staff that we've seen in 10 years when it comes to developing players. It's very early, of course, but based on what we saw last year, I don't, I don't see how you can how you can say otherwise when you look at the development of Hendon Hooker, Cedric Tillman, Valus Jones, and then Jabari Small, who kind of had to step up once Tyon Evans left, and he kind of became the guy and somebody that Tennessee could count on. So, yeah, it, do, it does feel like a strength of the team at this point. Yeah, it, it really does. Dixon, the main thing that I've seen – said about him is he's just small he is really looking at the numbers here he's essentially a smallest guy in that room dylan sampson according to the chart here is an inch taller but weighs a little bit less but sampson is a freshman where lynn j dixon is in his fourth year of college technically i think at this point uh oh it even says he's a redshirt senior so maybe fifth year of of at least being around college football um, he was a, a four-star recruit in 2018. Um, so yeah, that, oh, 2018 was four years ago. Lordy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so he's he's been around a lot longer. To me, it seems like the pecking order would be this. If I, if I had to call it right now, Jabari Smalls, your, your primary guy, then it is Jalen Wright. I mean, he he really put put some nice... Uh, stuff on the field at the end of the season last year um and then somewhere in between justin williams thomas and lynn j dixon i think uh i would guess lynn lynn j dixon and maybe justin williams thomas becomes a short yardage guy um and then dylan sampson is kind of bringing up the rear although i have heard he's been a guy that a lot of people have been talking about actually dylan sampson they said he's been putting in some nice reps he's looked good on the practice field do it that way you will. You kind of take that with a grain of salt just because it's, I mean, it's practice. Um, but, uh, you know, like I could kind of see, um, as, I, as I mentioned, Samson and Lynn J. Dixon are similarly sized. Maybe they split reps in that third spot. I don't know. I, it really is. Uh, it's interesting because there are so many options there. And Josh Heupel's offense is so tailored to getting those guys the football in space. Um, and I, I think there's plenty of opportunity for all of these guys to make plays. Um, and, and we're just assuming that Justin Williams Thomas would be the short yardage guy, yeah. but he's, cause he's just the biggest. Uh, but I, I think this, this room has improved over last year and I'm, I'm excited to, to see what happens. Even, even if it's undersized, I think go across the board, it's undersized at the running back position, but. I, you know, that almost kind of plays into Josh Heupel's super speedy offense, right? Like you you want almost speed over size in this scenario because it's not like you're trying to just jam it down the defense's throat. I I like the way it sets up. Yeah, I, th- I think one, one thing that'll obviously play a big factor in the depth chart is the ever exciting, just thrilling 
thing to talk about is pass protection. <laughs> you know, well, it's yeah. who can pass protect? It's it's not something that you talk about a lot. It's not something that really shows up in highlights. But if you if you're a if you're a big football fan that really kind of gets gets behind the curtain and and looks at just the way the offense operates and you see some of these things that's going to be a big part of it. We saw how important blocking for wide receivers was in this offense last year and Tennessee's receivers really bought in to that. And that I mean that's listen, you can sell that to these players. Blocking is important and that's what shows up on tape and that's what NFL teams see. And of course they're going to see the big plays and and how you carry the ball, how you catch the ball, all that. But if you can't block, it's going to be really hard to latch on with an NFL team. So I think that that's probably something that they've stressed to these players, and and that's why they were so good at it last year. But that's going to play a big factor in it, obviously. I really – Hypel's talked a lot about correcting the things that that went wrong last year, and I know this is something you've pointed out many times, is is that third and short situations where instead of just picking up those two, three tough yards behind an offensive line and a big running back – they're trying to throw the ball down the field and catch the defense off guard, and and that's still part of their strategy. But that's just not it's just it's not a good way to approach the SEC. You have to be able to pick up two, three yards by running the ball on third and short. Like you have to be able to do that to win in the SEC. It's it's imperative. So I think that's going to be a big emphasis in this in this offense this year at times. So maybe that helps Justin William Thomas get on the field earlier even if he does have some deficiencies in pass protection or catching the ball out of the backfield he can at least serve in that role you know we'll see maybe I mean who knows maybe Dylan Sampson uh shows that that he can be that guy as a true freshman uh you never know I really hope that he turns out to be like a Travis Etienne type player that comes out of Louisiana the LSU kind of ignored that goes on elsewhere to to have a fantastic career maybe he's that guy that you know, diehard Tennessee fans are kind of talking about him, but there's not a lot of attention on him. Otherwise, perhaps he's a, a breakout player for Tennessee this year. And there's plenty of opportunity for that exact thing on on this team. More on defense, just because, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> it's, it's a little thin on that side of the ball. Uh, but even on offense, where you do have a more set roster, I think, at this point, uh, but you're still going to have plenty of opportunity to, because of the amount of plays that are run by this offense in a typical game. You're going to do a lot of rotating. And we saw a lot of different uh, running backs last year. Well, not a lot of different running backs, but just different running backs on on different plays because of needing to rotate, needing to give guys a breather. And um, I the, the main thing that I do hope to a little bit of your point there uh, is that something that improves in a big way given another year to practice what Heifel does is, is the right word like the pacing, I guess, and and the flow and the feel of what Heifel does. Because I feel like that's such a huge component of this that really was so noticeable between a Joe Milton to a Hendon Hooker was that Hooker just got the feel. He got the, just that, whatever it is, that aura of Heupel's offense much more. He felt it so much better than Milton ever did. And I I mean, everybody, to make that offense work, everybody has to get into that feel, including the, the running backs. And in a big way, like you said, the blocking 
for some of these screen passes and just the uh, the pass blocking in general has to be really good and on time and in the right place, or else that offense is not going to be able to work. And uh, and hopefully that stuff takes a step forward. I mean, just the problem is is that three out of the five guys in that room are brand new, and so you know you I think you can trust Jabari Small. Jalen Wright's been in it. But what are you going to see out of like Lynn J. Dixon, who's showing up literally two days ago and kind of jumping into this offense? I, I mean, is is he going to be used to it enough to be useful in like the early part of the season? I don't know, um, because it is such a unique offense. So we'll we'll have to see exactly where it all goes. But I think no matter what, we're pretty confident in the setup of this room. It's it's a lot of talent. And it's there are pieces in there, as you mentioned, that could be breakout talent. And hopefully that does does come to fruition because it would just be so nice to have uh, have some surprise pieces here like that. That's something that could really make this team go from I think right now people are kind of considering them like top 25, but probably between 20 and 25 in America. Like that's sort of how Tennessee is being perceived right now where I think you you have some special pieces that emerge on on either side of the football and you could jump up to top 15, maybe top 10. I, I don't know, but I, I think people at least see the potential in Tennessee for that. I know I do. Um, and, and it's going to take the emergence of some guys that we haven't seen emerge yet. And maybe some of them will be in this running back room. I don't know. Yeah, speaking of uh, top 25, real quick, the uh, preseason USA Today coaches poll, the top 25 was released just as we, started recording this podcast and Tennessee did not make the top 25. I believe mm. I saw that they were just on the outside of the top 25. You got Ole Miss at 24, Arkansas at 23, Kentucky at 21, and then Texas A&M at seven, Georgia at three and Alabama, of course, at number one. So yeah. I, I was going to be, I, I, I get it. I think Tennessee should be top 25, but, uh, they're close enough. I mean, I kind of understand. It. As long as South Carolina wasn't in there, that that would have been ridiculous. But to to go back to what you were saying about the offense and picking it up, that's really one of the my biggest things with this this approaching this season and what do I expect from Tennessee this season is how big of a factor is the second year in Josh Heupel's offense. Like players are more comfortable. Uh, they they they're not learning the offense anymore. They're perfecting the offense. So how big of a jump do we see this season? And I honestly I don't know what to expect. I don't know if it's a if it's incremental progress where it's just like okay Tennessee just needs to be faster and bigger and stronger before they really take that next step, or do they take that next step this year because they have more experience in this offense? That's really one of the more fascinating questions to me this off season is what kind of jump we get this year obviously you want to see progress but how how big is that progress there how big is that jump in progress that we see yeah because it is an offense that is really tailored to pull production out of less talent Mm -hmm. um i mean it is it's not like georgia's offense where to make that thing work you got to have five-star running backs five-star wide receivers and a decently competent quarterback like that's not how Tennessee's offense is built. It is built to take, like Heupel has kind of emphasized this offseason, take a roster of, you know, that is brutally shallow and be able to actually pull stuff out of it. 
and clearly it worked last season. That team really lacked depth. What do we say? 69 players at the end of the season, like just brutally shallow. Um, and you still got that kind of offensive production that you got last year. So it's really tailored to that. And what happens when you inject a little more talent, a little more depth, and probably most importantly, hopefully most importantly, more experience in it, uh, especially with a guy like Hooker who has all of this time to have worked it out now where he he really should have his feel honed in and his vision honed in, I think, in terms of how the, the offense should work. I'm, I am pretty excited to see. I, I don't want to get my hopes too high. Because Tennessee in my lifetime has made a habit out of getting me excited and crushing my dreams. But I really do think that uh, that it it could be a, a nice little step forward. I, I've even seen the, the guys covering practice. I've seen them mention that the practices in general are just a little more a little more cohesive, a little more of a sort of well-oiled machine. Uh, than they were a year ago. And and all of that just comes from having more time with these coaches in this system, doing what they do, getting used to the way that they operate. You didn't have a lot of turnover. Uh, thank God you didn't have a lot of turnover with the coaches. So not much is going to be that new. And and I, re- I really am. This is something I am truly excited about coming up, is just being able to see this team with a year under its belt and how that translates. I, I think it it could really be good. Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly there's there's a lot of hope right now. I mean, you see there's a prediction from 24/7 Sports this morning, one of their writers predicted the whole first month of the season for each SEC team, right? And he's got Tennessee going 4 and 0, which means they beat Florida. I mean, if you come <laughs> out of that stretch and you beat Florida and you're 4 and 0, I mean that you're you're on the path to 10 wins for sure. Plus yeah. plus you got plus you got a win against Pittsburgh in there too that that I think people I think a lot of people are kind of overlooking that game because Kenny Pickett's not there. But look, that game's at Pittsburgh. It's going to be a tough game. That's still a really good team. They're preseason ranked uh, number 18, I believe, in that coach's poll that was just released. You come out of that stretch 4-0, and it's going to feel just like it did in 2016 when Tennessee started 5-0 and and they beat Florida and Georgia. Uh, but you come out of that stretch with a bye week, and then you go down to Baton Rouge on October eighth. Can you imagine if, especially if that's a night game, how insane that atmosphere will be? Especially if LSU's off to a good start under Brian Kelly, that will be. I mean, that right there. We talked about it with the Ole Miss game last year. Even though Tennessee lost that game, that environment, uh, that is what you want. I mean, that is what Tennessee should be every single game they play, unless it's a you know FCS team at a noon kickoff, obviously you're going to be a little more subdued, but you want these crazy wild atmospheres where this is a marquee game. you got the best announcers on television. Everybody's watching this game and Tennessee feels like they're destined to go back to those games. I mean, that is, that's what it's all about to me. Yeah. I mean, that's what gets me excited thinking about the the loudness of what, what Tiger stadium will be like in Tennessee, maybe going in there and, and knocking them off to go to five and oh, does it, does it get any better than, than thinking about that? It would be so good to be back in that echelon because you had it for like two seconds with Butch. Yes. You beat Florida, you beat Georgia, and then the you know that Texas AM game after you were undefeated it was massive. I think that was a, it, that was a it was, hard, tough, tough game to watch because 
it felt like they found that magic. Uh, who who was it that ran down the, uh, the oh. interception and knocked it out of the goal line? And then I believe yeah. Kamara scored after that or something. Mm-hmm. And the game went in overtime, didn't it? I believe. Yeah. So, and, I mean, I really – I believed in that moment when they made that comeback, I believed they were going to win that game. And I'm – I think you're right. That was the first game after because then Alabama was the week after that, and that that was a disaster. Also, it was top. Other, it was top ten matchup. Yeah. I think we we were like number nine. They were like number seven or something. Yeah. Texas A&M was um, at Texas A&M sold out game. I believe it was CBS game of the week. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you you had that that chase down fumble through the end zone and when that had because you would you I think Tennessee had gotten down by like fourteen points. Yeah, and, which they had done against uh, a Georgia. I don't know if it was quite. Well, they were down by quite a bit at halftime of that game, and they were down to Florida. What twenty one? Yeah, twenty one. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, yeah, it felt like okay, this is they're they're going to do it again. Like I, after watching them do it twice in, in uh, the same month, same couple of weeks, I one hundred percent believe they were winning that game. So me I, as a as a sports fan, a little peek into my psyche, um, I tend to, I tend to try to convince myself that something bad is going to happen that way when it does happen i'm not that upset i do it every night watching the mets i do it with tennessee football but that night i did not let myself do that i i gave in and i believed and that one that hurt that game hurt it's it stayed with me six years later it really felt like 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 i said with that fumble through the end zone you just felt like all right this is destiny right here mm-hmm. it, it felt it felt like the Along the lines of the Sterner stumble and fumble, where you were just like, "What? Mm-hmm. No! Like this, this stuff can't happen. This isn't the kind of bounces Tennessee gets." And ultimately, they lost the game. But you know, like I said, it was still an incredible effort, though, by was. those players on that field that night. And they they yeah. they did that in spite. They did those won those five games, all of that in spite of Butch Jones. And you you were coming off the hail mary. I, I mean, it already felt miraculous. Mm-hmm. Just to be there, and and even you didn't even have a chance at, a, at that hail mary without Derek Barnett getting a, a sack fumble, uh, and and Tennessee recovering. I mean, Corey Vereen recovered it in the end zone for a Tennessee touchdown. Like it was just stuff where you were like, "This is team of destiny" kind of stuff. Like, but ultimately, I think what it actually was is that Tennessee should have beaten Georgia and Florida by like 14, 21 points each, and instead, because Butch isn't a very good coach, you had to beat. George on a Hail Mary. I think you were considerably better than both of those teams, talent-wise, and Butch didn't know what to do. <laughs> it's ultimately what that actually was, more than Team of Destiny moments. But it, I, I think with Heupel's team, what you could see this year, and it, this almost scares me more than the whole come-from-behind thing like Butch was always doing, it would be, I, I think Heupel's team is perfectly built to get ahead in a game. Like, you could have one where Georgia stalls out on his first couple of drives, and Tennessee is suddenly up 14 to zero and you go, Oh, okay. This is real. You know, like we, this, you're in a position where you're up to scores on Georgia or whoever. That's like the Alabama game last year, right? I mean, didn't they get yeah. up fairly decent in that game? And like, I, I think this team just really has the potential to get in a situation like that. And what we saw last year is, can they hang on? It's pretty tenuous just because Heupel's offense gives the other team so many opportunities. They about got to play perfect and just they yeah. cannot miss like one of those deep throws to beat Georgia. Yeah. You have you to like you're going to they're going to score on you. They're they're just going to obviously because like you said, they give so many chances. 
but you cannot overthrow a wide open Cedric Tillman no. down the field. Like when he's got the defender by five steps, you have to hit that. Like that's gonna the game's gonna hinge on it. You might not get that chance again. Uh that's and that's tough to play perfect, but I mean it's Georgia. I mean, that's the defending champions. It's, it's no slight against Tennessee. It's just is what it is. But when you look back at those games where you get the great upsets, you know, Johnny Manziel against Alabama, uh Ole Texas Miss A&M last year against Alabama. You 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 look at those, and in those moments, the play was made. They you know, there is so seldom those <laughs> where you have those missed opportunities and Alabama still gets knocked off. It just everything has to come together. And and there's just so with the breakneck speed of what Hypo does, there's so many opportunities for things to go wrong. And that just <laughs> it scares me. It really, really scares me. It gives me hope. I like I said, I, I think there's a, a chance for something like, oh, you get a quick lead on Alabama, you get a quick lead on Georgia or something. And and how do you go from there? Um, I I think you will be better than Florida, you will be better than Pittsburgh. It is the actual coming through and beating them. Can't can Tennessee go four and zero, especially with this offense like we've been talking about? Absolutely. Will they? Uh, it 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 just it makes me nervous to even say that. Obviously, the before the week before the season starts, we're going to give our like full season prediction. But I, um, I'll say this: it's absolutely we, possible. I don't know. Before we move on to to the next topic, I will say this: I I hope because I keep thinking about four and zero, and if you. My first instinct is okay. If you beat Pittsburgh, you feel really confident you're gonna go beat Florida at home. Yeah, but I really hope that this team doesn't have the same mentality as the fan base, where there's just this block. Uh, like you've said, it's Florida, and and until Tennessee's beats Florida, you have to pick Florida in that game. And I don't know if we will or not whenever that time comes, but. I feel like that's what's prevented Tennessee from coming through in some of these games is there's so much pressure and you get up on Florida. We've seen it so many times in, in 2012 and 2014, 2015, 2017, just so many different times that they should have beat Florida and it just falls apart towards the end. And it really feels like it's because it's Florida. It's because that uniform's on. Like if that was a different team, Tennessee wins those games. I hope this team is so far removed from that mentality that that doesn't factor into that game. Because that's the only yeah. thing that I see being a hiccup against Florida uh, well, in September, it, especially since that game's early in the season and Florida's still going to be kind of finding their way under Billy Napier. It's the comparison that I always go back to, but Tennessee basketball with Kentucky, you can, you can blast through that, that mental block you beat with Barnes, you beat Kentucky and Rupp that one time and you've done it three three times since then, two times since then, and you beat Kentucky more than you lose to them. You can flip that script. It is possible. But you it it is exactly that. How do you get past that mental block? You have to, it's, it is really seeing it to believe it. Beat them this year and beat them next year in the swamp. Like, I think it's going to take that, really, to finally blast through it and get back to where you're trading games with Florida and it's much more of a rivalry and you're beating, maybe beating them more than you're losing to them. It's going to take just finally getting through that mental block. I, uh, my, my faith is uh, is low, admittedly, as far as that goes, but my hope is high. I, <laughs> if I can put it that way. Um, but let's talk briefly about something that I think 
in terms of going for an O to open the season, something that could be a hindrance to that. And that is the defensive line for Tennessee. Rodney Garner, defensive line coach for Tennessee, gave a press conference today, uh, sort of recapping practice so far for his unit. And just listening to what he said and looking at the setup of the defensive line, uh, I think you have really nice pieces on the edges. And everything besides that is pretty dicey. Uh, and so let, let's sort of break down what uh, some of the stuff that he said. Um, so he he praised, as I mentioned on the edges, he praised Tyler Barron, said that he's gotten a lot better. He's become more, quote, coachable this season. Um, and he said, oh, I, I loved this quote. We talked about this before we came on here, Zach. He, he said, no one came to Tennessee wanting to go seven and six. That is not the standard here. I love that. That sounds uh, awesome. Nobody did come here to go seven and six. It's all about uh, winning the SEC, winning a national championship. Um, he said, Latrell Bumpus is one of the greatest young men I've ever had the honor to coach. He's a real dude. He's a man's man. Uh, he only started going full speed a week ago before camp started. And he's gone out there and done some great things on film. Uh, so that's encouraging. You had some talks like that. And then the the main thing that I think scares both of us was this quote right here. Somebody asked him about replacing Matthew Butler on the interior, who, uh, you know, he's fifth round pick in the, in the draft this year. And Tennessee has to replace that production. He said, that's been a big void for us. We took Matt for granted. And how valuable he was. I don't know that we filled that role yet. So we have to keep pushing those guys to see who rises to the top. Uh, I don't like the sound of that. Um, but you are only a week into practice. So maybe that guy is still there. You heard what he said today. You've kind of seen um, what's been coming out of practice so far. Zach, what, what are your thoughts on the defensive line? I mean, there's definitely a lot of uh, unproven players there with talent. I, I do think you're going to miss Matthew Butler a ton, um, mostly because of his leadership. I mean, he was such a accountable person. He held people around him accountable. And he was just he was just a great leader. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. And for Rodney Garner to say that, I don't know if he's frustrated because they haven't found that leader, or maybe he's just trying to use that as motivation to have some guys step up to be that leader. I don't know. I, I know coaches are very measured in what they say and why they say it, especially a veteran like Rodney Gardner. So I'm sure he had a reasoning, a reason for, for putting that out there, knowing that people like us would kind of dissect it and point to it as a negative. Uh, but but it is a, it is something that you have to do. You have to replace Matthew Butler, and you don't have a lot of proven guys there on the defensive line outside of your edge rushers. I mean, maybe Tyree West can can step up and be that guy as a freshman and, and kind of surprise everybody. We're not really surprise everybody, just kind of contribute earlier than expected. Um, but you can't really count on a freshman to do that. So that that's not wise to, to count on him. If it happens, it's great. Uh, it's it's a concern. And, and that's an area, obviously, the trenches. You have to be good there. And that's part of Tennessee still building depth. And it's going to be tough for them to get some of these defensive linemen until, until recruits kind of get a better feel for this defense and what this defense is about. I thought Tim Banks did a great job last year, but we still didn't really necessarily get Tennessee's defensive identity. It didn't really just shine through like the offense did. Uh, and, and maybe once that happens, we'll see them starting to get more of these defensive linemen where they can compete with 
the Georgias and Alabamas and some of those teams that are a little beefier up front and have more experience. But that's tough. When you look at Georgia's depth chart and they got a four-star guy on third string, uh, it's kind of frustrating. Like, what do you do? Like, how do you go against that? I mean, it puts pressure on your offensive line because they got to go against those guys. And it puts pressure on your defensive line because you expect them to play at that same level. Yeah, even even at the positions of strength on the defensive line, like the edge, after you get past Barron and Young, you kind of go, well, where do we go? You do have Roman Harrison. Um, and Dominic he, Bailey is somebody that Gardner pointed out as having a that's great true. offseason. Uh, J- James Pierce was, uh, on, according to some services, a five-star coming in, and there's been some talk that he's going to try to get yeah. – uh, get in there, get some playing time. Joshua Josephs, I think he was a four star. Um, it's, it's just unproven. It's not unproven. Exactly. That's and that's true across this entire line. Because I mean, you're on the interior. Your top returning guy, production wise, is Amari Thomas, and he just wasn't that huge of a factor last year. He he had moments where you went like, oh hey, that's that looks good. But even your top returning guy at that spot is pretty unproven. And that's that's a little daunting. I mean, and Elijah Simmons, who's been here for a long time, I mean, what did he play in? Like three, four games last year? Just has, hasn't panned out. Um, I, it's, that's, I don't even was he injured? I don't, I don't know. But um, like Karak Garland, somebody like that where you saw little flashes. But what? What do you actually expect out of that unit? I'm not sure. And I don't think that Gardner knows either. Uh, and it's not his fault. He just, he can only see what's been on the practice field. And that's, I just think as a coach, that's got to be <laughs> kind of scary, man, where you just go like, well, our best guy left and I don't really know who's going to take his spot. The guy that had the most production last year really wasn't that great so maybe he can be that but we don't totally know i don't know i i don't want to like fear monger or anything like that the the defensive line is not going to be the linchpin of this team but you can definitely say this a great defensive line could be the could be the difference for this team um just because it could get you you know extra stops equals extra opportunities for tennessee's offense to lay more points on that team and that's that's the way the Josh Heupel system works. I mean, it, it's complementary football, and the more stops you get, the more points you can put up on a team, get a bigger lead, blah 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 blah. We all know. Well, the good uh, news though is that Rodney Gardner is one of the best defensive line coaches in college football. Yeah, so maybe he can get these guys playing, uh, you know, a little above their talent level. And you know, I kind of view him as like the Sam Pittman of defensive line coaches. So. That's, you know, maybe that helps level the field a little bit, but the lack of depth is still concerning because uh, when it comes to injuries happening, you can't prevent those and you can't, I mean, you can't coach around injuries, but so much. No. You can only play the players that you have. And if you lose some of those guys and you got to go down to your second, third, fourth options, well, suddenly you've got a borderline three star guy lining up against a massive right guard at Georgia or even some of these other programs that have recruited well, like Kentucky's got, you know, maybe maybe they're, <laughs> they're not the same Kentucky as they have been. Tennessee still handles them, but it's a, it's a lot bigger challenge, and you don't want your fourth-string defensive line going against their first-string offense. So it, it it is concerning. I don't think it's like going to be, a, a, you know, it, it's not the end of the season 
for no. Tennessee. We're not trying to say anything like that. But, I mean, look, there's positives and there's things that are concerns. It's a young program, and this is one of the bigger concerns. Well, kind of to your point about Garner, he is, he's one of the best defensive line coaches in America. That's amazing. Um, And I think what you have to hope for, sort of what we were talking about with the running back room, is that you find surprise production. You just get it out of it, like an Amari Thomas. Can you take that the flashes that he showed and make him the guy? Bring him up to that, that Matthew Butler level. And I hope that Garner and what he is saying is going out and using it as motivation over him actually saying, oh, we haven't found that guy yet. Hopefully he is using it to look at some of those guys and go, hey, this needs to be you. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to crown you, but you need to be that guy. Let's let's step it up. Let's keep going. Keep pushing. Hopefully he's using that those types of comments. He's using them that way over him actually going. I don't know where we're going to go <laughs> for, for the defensive line. Um, and I and I think that is probably what he's doing because uh, he is just a really, really solid coach. But it's uh it is just a unit where if they have a great year, it will be a surprise. I think you put it that way, except at the edges. I, I think you you should expect, uh, I think we said this a couple weeks ago, if you doubled the production, which would be a lot to ask, but I think would be possible. If you doubled the production of Baron and Young on the edges, that's a serious pass rush. You You would be... In the top half of the SEC, for sure, with that type of production out of those guys. Uh, and I think it's possible. Is it likely? I'm I'm not sure. How much of a step forward are they going to take? The So far, the signs have been good in practice. Um, as, I, as I said, uh, Garner, Garner even mentioned Barron has become better and more coachable. Um, you pointed that out in the press conference today. So, yeah, maybe you get step forwards out of out of those guys and, and just force... Um, more sacks and more hurries and get quarterbacks kind of feeling footsteps. And, and that can change the entire dynamic um, uh, of the whole thing. And maybe there is a surprise guy in there that, uh, that we're, we're discounting or one of the freshmen really steps up or something like that it would be huge. But that, that is just a fact of life for this defensive line outside of those pieces that we have seen give nice production so far. And there's only a couple, it is a crapshoot and it could be great. Or I, I feel like that could uh, could be one of the biggest weaknesses on the team. It's going to be pretty tenuous, and and we'll see. Hope, but I, ha I have faith in Garner, at least. At least you know you have one of the best coaches at that position in America heading those guys up, and you can you can at least say that. And he kind of, you know, between him and Banks last year, they did kind of pull a, a rabbit out of the hat. I just uh, They were perilously thin and still made it work and and you you know you beat Kentucky you had some good games out of those guys so we'll we'll just have to see hopefully hopefully Garner can once again kind of have a, a a magic season that'd be nice his comments about Tyler Barron today talking about him being more coachable and just the work he's put in it kind of made me wonder and and I could be totally wrong on this but you know Tyler Barron briefly hit the transfer portal this offseason uh quickly came back pretty evident that there's like an NIL deal there that swayed him to come back. We've seen him doing some NIL stuff. So we do know those, those deals exist. And I wonder if, you know, this is something Josh Heupel's talked about. If the presence of these NIL deals have made players aware of, Hey, if I'm producing out there on the field on Saturdays, I'm going to get more opportunities 
uh, yeah. more, more money coming my way. If that's kind of like a motivating factor for Baron, because it does seem like he's a completely different guy this off season. I, I wonder if that factors in at all to, to what we're seeing this off the, from him. Heupel's brought that up a lot that the, the NIL stuff kind of changes the way that these players approach being in the football program uh, because it makes, it makes the consequences of their actions so much more real. If I produce on the football field, I'm going to have a bigger profile. I can get more money. And it also kind of deters like, oh, if I go to this party and I get arrested, I'm, I'm screwed and I'm, I'm done. And so it, it gives the motivation on one end to play better and it gives the motivation on the other end to not go out and be stupid. And so I, I, I love that Heupel's brought that up. I think that's a great point. I hope that that becomes uh, a motivating factor, but that's, it's going to be to that point. It's going to be a motivating factor across the board for every team in the sec, every program outside of Vandy and Mizzou have gobs of NIL money running through there. And, and so it's going to be true for everybody, but uh, I hope so. Because Tennessee is going to need that motivation, I think, with the defensive line, they're they're going to need some guys uh, to surprise us this year, um, and and hopefully they will. Maybe we'll see the emergence of those guys as fall camp goes along. It'd be nice to at least get a little more of an idea of where this line is going before the season starts. Uh, but we'll, you know, if there's updates on that, we'll we'll go from there. But before we get into this final topic, Zach. Uh, Zach Anything else about uh, practice, defensive line, running backs, anything else that you've noticed this week you want to you wanna bring up? No, I mean, it seems, seems like everything's going in the right direction. We've seen some reports about some of, the, some of the receivers' routes and stuff not being as crisp. I wouldn't worry too much about that. It's still early during fall camp, and they're still working things out. Uh, I think we saw last year that these wide receivers will be fine. It's, it's a talented group. They got good leadership there, Cedric Tillman. Uh, you hope that Brew McCoy can can be a factor this year. He's got to get cleared, got to get in shape. I think he's kind of been working off to the side so far. Uh, hopefully, though, he's. I mean, he seems like a guy that works hard, and he's a physical player, great blocker. So he's definitely going to have a role in this offense. Assuming, like I said, assuming he gets in shape and the NCAA does their part and clears him and allows him to play this season. And that is a total wild card that we really have no clue what the NCAA will choose to do or when they'll choose to do it. It'll probably be at the most inopportune time, I'm sure. It's going to be like first quarter of the bowl game. (laughs) The Tennessee plays and they're going like, he's cleared. (laughs) I do think he'll probably miss the Ball State game just because that's what the NCAA does. And we've seen it so many times. Like there's no inside information on that. There's no, haven't heard anything like that. It's just, what I assume will probably happen because that's the NCAA and it's Tennessee and that's how these things go. The NCAA will never let it be easy. They, no. they just, they don't do it. Never. Um, yeah, we, we shall see as far as that goes with Brew McCoy. Yeah. And you have seen kind of the reports coming out of practice that he's bringing up the rear a little bit on, on being in shape. Uh, and so he's, he's got some work to do, but hopefully hardworking kid, Get after it, because I I think if he can if he can put up big numbers, obviously at, in Josh Heupel's offense at the wide receiver position, if you can become a prominent guy, Josh Heupel will will get you paid. Josh Heupel will get you to the NFL, um, and so hopefully that's enough motivation for him him to get there. And I obviously the NCAA is a factor in that too, as dumb as that is, and we'll we'll go from there. But uh, a quick side note on that: something that you said just kind of 
popped in my head. If Brew McCoy does come out this year and has a tremendous year, ends up being a, a decent draft pick, I really think you're going to start seeing Tennessee be the destination for transfer wide receivers. Maybe not the five-star yeah. guys coming out of high school because those guys are still going to go to Alabama and uh, Georgia and, and USC and some of those places. But if you get to the point where, okay, Valus transferred and and played under Heupel, uh third-round pitch, Cedric Tillman could end up being a first- or second-round pick. He wasn't a transfer, but – in a way, he he took the same path almost as a transfer because he played under two completely different coaches. And under Jeremy Pruitt, he was not utilized at all. He had like, like six or seven catches his whole career before Josh Heupel arrived. So you start stacking those up, Brew McCoy ends up being the next one. I think you're going to see uh, Tennessee kind of have, have their pick of the litter when it comes to transfer wide receivers. Man, I hope so. It would be... It would be nice to corner the market on something like that again. And Javante Payton is another one as well. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, let let's get Tennessee to be the uh, Cardinals. He Tennessee needs to become a transfer wide receiver. You, we don't even need to be wide receiver. You, in fact, I I would almost prefer to be transfer wide receiver. You, yeah, just (laughs) because a a lot of times those guys are are they they can give you an immediate impact over freshmen. So, um, with that said, let's finish with this kind of a. A little less serious topic, uh, but there have just been so many terrible top five quarterback lists during this offseason. I I have like lost faith. I didn't have much, but I've lost all faith, I think, in SEC media. I mean, what are the, what are these guys watching? We talked about one a couple weeks ago from Tim Tebow, which was just like clearly Tim was just working too much on his, I don't, what is he doing? His other, being a youth pastor? I don't know. What does Tim Tebow do? He was spending more time doing that than watching SEC football because his list of top five quarterbacks was just off the map. Um, I believe didn't have Hinden Hooker or KJ Jefferson on it. Uh, KJ Jefferson in Arkansas for the uninitiated. But the, the one that got me going here and made me want to bring this topic up again was Matt Stinchcomb at the SEC Network, who you would think, I mean, this guy's on the SEC Network every single day. It is, I believe, his full-time job at this point. He's he's not uh, doing speeches at mega churches like Tebow. Um, and so his list was this. Bryce Young at number one. Okay, fine. I think that's almost everybody's number one. Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett at Georgia at two. Hendon Hooker at three, Will Levis at four, KJ Jefferson at five, no mention of Will Rogers at Mississippi State. And I just, obviously, the bone that I had to pick with him was Stetson, Stetson Bennett at two. I mean, did we, folks, we, yeah, he won a national championship, but Stetson Bennett was not the reason George won a national championship. Not even, not even close. He was the ninth most prolific quarterback in the SEC last year in terms of yards. Uh, he didn't throw the ball as much because they just, I mean, he was there to hand the ball off. They t- Kirby Smart runs an offense from the early 1990s. I mean, it is just like pre-Steve Spurrier SEC football is what that guy's putting out there on the football field. Like, it is just ridiculous. And they impose their will on you. They have earth movers up front, and they push you all around the field. And they, you know, obviously have got them a national championship. But also, they relied extremely heavily on their defense. That was a whole other part of it, too. But Stetson Bennett at two. I mean, guys, 
We all watched the guy play. What are we doing? Come on. Uh, but we, from this, I wanted us, because we've been hawking on the Zek, to give our top five quarterbacks to kind of finish here. Who who do we think is the best in the SEC? Uh, is it just going to be Bryce Young winning the Heisman again this year? Will there be a surprise? And I feel like, for whatever reason, maybe we can give a little more of a, of a down-the-middle take here, potentially, even though we're obviously going to be biased towards Tennessee. So, um, did you have any thoughts on, on this Zach, before we just go to the top five we had? Yeah. The, uh, I don't know the, the deal with Stetson Bennett. I mean, he feels like the Alabama quarterbacks we used to see before Tua kind of arrived yeah. and Jones where these guys like Greg McElroy and, and Brody Croyle, like they didn't, they had okay. They had, they were on good teams. Well, Brody Croyle wasn't as was, was before saving, but some of those guys, they were on good teams, but they just weren't, they weren't, they weren't NFL quarterbacks. They were kind of game managers. They they did kind of what what Saban wanted them to do to to pick up yards and win games. And I think it was when Lane Kiffin arrived at Alabama that Nick Saban's offensive philosophy changed a lot. They started going with a little more tempo. Started seeing quarterbacks play more of a role in the offense. As you know, Jalen Hurts and some of these guys that that really excelled, and now Bryce Young. So. I don't know how Stetson Bennett keeps getting lumped in there, but he definitely does not deserve to be uh, anywhere near the top five, in my opinion. Even if that, even if that team did win a national championship, like I could eat these words for sure, but I mean the guy is not going to do anything in the pros. At best, yeah. he's like a lifelong backup, which is a great, honestly, a great career. If you probably the best career, <laughs> yeah, you do nothing and you get paid usually like a million bucks, and it's awesome. Like imagine me and Josh Dobbs just oh man God, what great. a job what a job and and he still like he can come back to Knoxville and get free drinks at every bar in town mm-hmm. like that what a life that's got to be um and I mean Stetson Bennett at this point won a national championship for Georgia it's gonna be the same way he will be able to go back to Athens and be a hero anytime he wants to yeah maybe he could be a backup in the NFL but he's. It, it, you, the, I mean, the perfect comparison was those game managers for Nick Saban. I mean, he's yeah. that guy, just nine star players all around him on all sides, in front of him, behind him, all around. And he just hands the ball off. That's what he does. And that's the function that he serves in that offense. And that's fine. They they need that guy. Uh, but he's not going to be in my top five. I mean, the, I for me personally, number one, you just you just look at the numbers. You look at what the kid did last year and you look at probably the long term prospects. I think Bryce Young as much as I hate to give Alabama that credit and dang it, Nick Saban always finds a way, but Bryce Young is, is number one in the SEC. I mean, he won the Heisman. What are you going to do? He's probably going to be, the, he's obviously the Heisman favorite going into this season yet again, uh, even though you almost never get a repeat, but yeah, I mean, he's the number one guy in the SEC, right? Yeah, but you're probably right that um, somebody will come out of nowhere and end up winning the Heisman this year, kind of like, Joe Burrow or some of these other years where I mean what Joe Burrow it was supposed to be Trevor Lawrence yeah it was supposed to be Trevor Lawrence or uh or Tua and it ended up being Joe Burrow so this year it's supposed to be Bryce Young if it's not him it's gonna be Will Levis uh according to the national <laughs> media yeah my reaction as well so yeah maybe we'll be Hendon Hooker so the I think the what's your top five is that do you have well so I think the main contention point is this number number two spot right and sec past past the top three ish it's pretty up in the air 
to me, it, it really comes down to Hooker or Will Rogers at Mississippi State, which again, Stinchcomb had not, you know, K, KJ Jefferson is good, but he's just, he's so much slower. And I mean, he's more, he's almost like a, could you have like a power quarterback, so to speak? Like he's, the guy is just a monster. Um, but I, I don't think that he is as good of a, a passer or a manager as either of those guys. Will Rogers is certainly a product of the system that he plays in. Leach throws 10,000 times a game. Yeah, he's Graham Harrell. He could be. Yeah, but you, you look at his stats last year. He completed 74% of his passes, 36 touchdowns, 9 interceptions on 505 completions. Um, And so I, I think... Pure quarterback, I would is I would go Rodgers. I want to sound a little unbiased here. I would probably go Rodgers at the number two spot. Mm-hmm. I, I just think he if if I was talking about not in Josh Heupel's system, like if I was Georgia looking for someone to be better than Stetson Bennett and I looked at the rest of the SEC, I I think I would go Will Rogers just out of the set of guys that are there, outside of the ones that are just kind of unknowns, like at LSU and Texas A&M and stuff, um, which you could have some guys emerge there. We're just not sure yet, but I, I think I'd have to go with him there. It, it's really tough for me. I'm I'm right there too with you. Um, Rogers, the numbers are pretty eye popping. You see, 4,700 yards, massive. And what numbers. 36 touchdowns, nine interceptions, and what would you say, 74 percent of his passes. I mean, that those are insane numbers. But we see those numbers a lot in Mike Leach's systems, and like I yep. mentioned, Graham Harold, who was uh, what. He's a Texas Tech guy. I mean, he didn't really pan out at all in the NFL. I think he latched on with the Packers for a little bit, but he had insane numbers. Uh, but it just it, that didn't mean he was a great quarterback. So I'm like, I'm torn. Is Will is Will Rogers good, or is he a like you said a product of the system? Conversely, is Hendon Hooker good, or is he a product of his system? Yeah. I mean, he didn't do a ton at Virginia Tech. He was average at best uh, and had some struggles there. And then he comes and it sells at Tennessee, but he was, he took care of the football, only three interceptions. I think he completed a decent amount percentage of his passes. I think if, I think if you're being unbiased, you do have to go Will Rogers at number two, just based on last year. If you're just looking at this, if you just look at the numbers, I mean, there's no way that you can put hooker above Rogers. I don't feel like that's not to say that I, I think he's, you know, going to have a better pro career or has a better shot at the Heisman this year. I don't know. I mean, we got to see how it plays out, but just based on the numbers, I think you got to go Rogers. And then I would have hooker at three. Agreed. Uh, And then from there, I think it's, I think it's KJ Jefferson. I'm I'm a little higher on him than I think you are maybe, but not, you know, I I think I I agree. I think there's a decent gap between three and four, though, between Hooker and Jefferson. I don't I don't think he's like challenging Hooker for that three spot. I think Hooker's closer to Rodgers than he is Jefferson. And then I, I I would have Will Levis at five. I I like Will Levis. I don't think he's a Heisman trophy contender. He turns the ball over a little too much. Uh, I and I don't watch enough Kentucky to really know how much of that's on him or how much of it's the offense, the receivers, kind of what they're trying to do there. Uh, but I just – I watched some of him at SEC Media Days and some of his interviews, and I was really impressed with him just kind of away from the football field, having conversations with guys. He had a conversation with uh, 3HL, 104.5 The Zone, 
And my first thought was this guy's going to be a color commentator when he's done with, with college football. And if he plays in the NFL, he's eventually going to be in TV because he had a really good presence about him. He's really well-spoken. Um, obviously that doesn't make you a great quarterback, but I just felt like I, I just liked his demeanor. So I, I did, he, I did kind of become a fan of him in that sense. Um, but I think the gap between Jefferson and Levis is pretty significant too, just because Levis does need to take care of the ball yeah. better. Levis was really feast or famine last year, and he could improve upon that and be the guy that Kentucky really. That's needs. a new new offensive coordinator at Kentucky this year too. Yeah, so which that it, that could make a huge difference. Uh, but I I you know you just look at the product on the field. I I'm taking KJ Jefferson over over Levis in in that situation. Uh, and I almost at that five spot, I almost that's where I bring in Stetson Bennett. I think um, I think there's a lot of people thinking about Rattler at that five spot. But I just you got to show me more than he's shown. He he is just nothing but hype at this point. Like mm-hmm. he got he got replaced by a true freshman at Oklahoma because he was stinking it up. Uh, and I have no faith in Shane Beamer. You know, just looking, I, I don't know how you watch what he ran on offense last year and just go like, yep, that's a plug and play system. Put that guy in there. He's going to be great. Like everybody could say that about Josh Heupel. That's obvious. You almost put any quarterback back there. They're going to look halfway competent. I, I don't see that with Beamer's offense. Um, and maybe Radler could just a change of scenery changes everything for him. But I just, I got to have more evidence. So I think it's more between Levis and Bennett at that spot. Uh, and cause just, it's pretty uninspiring beyond that point. Cause you have, uh, Anthony Richardson at Florida again, kind of like Rattler, just unknown, hasn't done much. Whoever wins the job at Ole Miss. Um, yeah. that would be something interesting to watch because Lane Kiffin does develop quarterbacks well, and mm-hmm. they typically play better under him. He did it with Jonathan Crompton at Tennessee. He's done it all through his career. So if it's Jackson, Jackson Dart. Luke Aldmeyer, I don't know who wins that job, but whoever wins that job, I think, you know, they they could get in that conversation possibly. I mean, Haynes King at Texas A&M is a five star, but he's yeah. he's again going up against Max Johnson. Yeah, from LSU, um, and he was yeah. pretty. He had he had some success at LSU. Uh, he was kind of going to be their guy there for a little bit. Yeah, and LSU has like fourteen different guys going for their. Yeah, one of them <laughs> I said before. I think pretty sure one of those guys is going to transfer. I don't know who. But there's no way, of course, they'll have to leave the SEC at this point, uh, depending on who it is. But, yeah, there's uh, – and that's another one, too. Who starts at LSU? Because they have talent down there. If it's Miles Brennan, like that guy has flashed before. In early 2020, yeah. he was on like a he was on like a Joe Burrow-like pace in early 2020 before. I think he had like an abdomen injury in like the third or fourth game of the year that uh, – put him down for the rest of the year and that's when Max Johnson had to play but that's a guy that I think people are forgetting about where if he wins that job he could he could have yeah. some real success down there they got some talented wide receivers you never know Th- there will be one of these guys will come out of the woodwork and be a total no oh, yeah surprise uh and I, and I think the most obvious candidate for that is uh is Mike Wright at Vanderbilt that's another guy I like too I mean I've I've, I've you when you when they talk to him guy do what Mike Wright at Vanderbilt. I like him as a person. I don't as like know a person. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, have we even seen that guy play? I don't think we have. <laughs> no, I don't know enough about his on field skills to have any sort of opinion on what he will do. And in that offense probably won't do much at all. But as a person, 
mean, he's talking about some of the Manning Camp Academy stuff and his relationship with Hendon Hooker and some of those guys. Like, he's a real personal guy. I mean, he's a lot of these guys are outside of Spencer Radler. They're all pretty likable guys. Yeah. Uh, yes, right. In 10 appearances last year, I assume in just like snoozer games or games where Vandy was getting blown out, he completed 53.1% of his passes for 1042 yards, eight touchdowns to six interceptions. Oof. I would uh, put I'd put Stetson Bennett above him. Yes, I think we can definitively say that. Stetson Bennett is better than the guy Vandy. Um that is without question. Uh so there you go. There's there's our our top 5. Um hopefully the guy that is the breakout star this season is uh, Do we even know Do we even know who the quarterback is at Missouri? Uh, I was at the list that I was looking at said it is Brady cook because the guy that they had transferred, um, Basilac. Yes. I do recall that guy. Yeah. Cause he, he showed some, some potential. Yeah. yeah. And then he's gone. Um, it says starting in the armed forces bowl over five appearances in 2021, uh, cook completed 79% of his pass attempts. For 345 yards and two touchdowns. That's one game. That's one game's worth. (laughs) Yeah. So a little bit of a weird sample there for for Cook. Uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe he's the breakout there uh, with old Drinkowitz, the dork Drinkowitz at Missouri. Um, I think that's it. Another week down and uh, hopefully practice continues. No injuries. Good vibes, everyone. Keep it safe. No getting arrested. No nothing. We nice and quiet off season. We're almost there. Three weeks. Get me there. What do we say? Nin- 19 days till the mm-hmm. first game. And then beyond that, I think what another seven until Tennessee's first, I think, or no, it'd be like five, five days after that. Yeah. Yeah. It's Thursday. Like 20, yeah. 24, 25 days till Tennessee's game. Let's just get there. Um, yeah, we're Zach, quit doing math. We're not doing too hot on that right this second. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't do the show because I'm good at math. That is, um, not, not my skill set. Charlie Burris, that's Zach Reagan. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. And thanks again to Superbook Sports supporting the show. Coming through, go download it. Download it. App Store on Apple, Google Play. Get it. Bet on the games. They'll match your uh, your first bet up to a thousand bucks. It's huge. I think that's it. Go to a to z sports.com. Check out everything that Zach and I write. A to z sports podcast network feed on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube.com. Subscribe to a to z sports to see Zach and I in uh, video form. That's it. Thanks so much again for listening, and we'll talk to y'all next week. See you guys later.